It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to the third and the Don Football Show. I am Joe with me as Cecil, as always. Uh, here to talk some NFL football, we were going to have a little bit of a shorter show, but God knows the NFL does has a lot of news every single week, so we're going to talk about a lot of things that are going on with the Super Bowl, with NFL head coaching changes, with a new team name in the NFL, uh, a lot of stuff to go over this week. Cecil, how are you doing? Oh, I'm excellent. Um, I mean, I'm living out my boyhood dream watching my team be in the Super Bowl. Um, I can barely sleep, barely eat. Um, I just sit here at night just wondering if this is even real, and I'm still not convinced that I'm not in some kind of simulation, as Elon Musk once said, Um, but I've just decided, you know what, I'm just along for the ride. Absolutely, it's going to be a fun one uh, for for Bengals fans in Cincinnati, we're going to be trying to enjoy the city on Sunday for the Super Bowl, hopefully in a good way and not uh, not a a loss, but we're going to get to our picks and predictions later on, it's been a fun playoff run for for both of us hanging out with the Bengals and Bengals fans downtown and just having an awesome time so we hope that keeps on going with one more party after this game first though Cecil we had a team name change uh for the Washington football team they were the football team for two years after changing from their formerly offensive nickname and uh they picked a team name called the Commanders I thought that in a couple ways was pretty bad uh so I'll I'll start off getting my thoughts over with kind of quickly before we get to yours the Commanders, they wanted something military-based. I get that because they're in D.C. Um, the Commanders is a little bit too close to the Washington Generals, who are paid to lose, but maybe that's what Washington's going for under Dan Snyder. And it also, I mean, there's going to be so many jokes about it because you can say the Washington Commies, the Comrades, uh, the Washington, Washington Commandos. I mean, it's there's a lot of different things. In all seriousness, it sounds like an XFL or USL off-brand name. I wish they would have gone with Red Wolves, Red Tails, something different. Um, and I, I just, it's a shame that they, they chose this name because they could have done better, one. And two, I mean, see, so we, we've talked about it all year. This is just to try to distract from the fact that they have a lot of open court cases right now about how the way that organization's been run. Oh, absolutely. And first of all, if you want to go to a team that will uh, pay you to lose games – you just got to go down to uh, Miami right now. Um, <laughs> the owner will gladly pay. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's a stupid name. I mean, let's just be honest. Call it as it is. Like you said, it feels like an arena football team. I mean, how many arena football teams have been named the Commanders? I think like at least three. And whatever amount of defunct leagues. It's like either that or Jungle Cat. Like That's like if the Bengals decided they wanted to change their name and they became the, the Cats. Like, <laughs> What, like, no, like, this is generic and terrible. And it took Washington two years to come up with what I've seen most of the internet compared to, and I believe as well, is uh, some kid in college who literally just phoned in his entire project like the night before the big presentation just went, uh, commanders. It's, it's like, I, I don't know. They're just trying to pretend they're not the Washington team, we all know. Um, even though they completely are. I mean, Dan Snyder, I don't know what the NFL has to do to make that man sell the team, but please do it. 
um, before you just, I mean, he's just a problem for every owner. And the problem is the owners of the NFL, I guess, have too much power, it seems, for especially stuff like this. But, I mean, he's a horrible person. He's a horrible businessman. He's a horrible managing that football team. So please give it up. Um, please build a new stadium. And, you know, you can slap whatever name you want on this team. It's still an absolute mess, like you said. But I was I was really hoping they go with Red Tails, you know, something, you know, historical for some of the uh, Black World War II pilots that they were called the Red Tails. Um, I thought that would have been really cool. You know, military plus a mix of, you know, um, it's a very big minority city in D.C., so I think that would have been a cool homage as well. But, you know, they, they went with bland-ass Washington Commanders. You know, honestly, I wish they would have gone with the Washington Generals. And that would have just been hilarious. Um, just the complete A, oversight, or B, someone did it on purpose, which would have been even funnier. Um, but, yeah, I'm, if I was going to give this a letter grade, I'd probably give it a D because it's got literally the worst name you could come up with. Like, they're just, I mean, you could continue to call yourself the Redskins, basically. That would have been the only F grade. Um, but, yeah, I mean, no originality, not really even a cool military rank name. Like, even, like, the Admirals would have been cooler, or, like, yeah, like, something, like, it's just, Commanders is just generic. We need something better. Um, I expected better, but at the same time, it didn't really, because, you know, it's still the same Washington team we all know and love. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it sounds, you're right, like, it sounds like a college kid, it sounds like a third grader phoning in a project, um... Some of the uniforms look okay. They kind of look cool. I mean, the black uniform looks really cool. If, if you get a chance to check those out, uh, you should probably do so. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it just seems like Washington Nationals. It's just so bland, and, and I don't know. I feel like you could have done more. And I do I do criticize team names a lot, specifically pro sports team names, because I think college team names, especially the smaller ones, are a lot more fun. Minor league baseball team names are classic. It's okay to have a little fun. You don't have to be, you don't have to be off-brand. Uh, necessarily if you have a little fun you know and nfl has how many team names that are cats how many team names that are birds you could have changed it up with red tails or red wolves or whatever and, and had a really good team name that people really liked um but this is just as you said i think bland's the right way to put it um i i can't imagine myself cecil if i was a fan of washington being happy with the team name change i wouldn't want to go say i'm gonna go buy a commander's t-shirt other than just the novelty of it's new. Other than that, it's just, I don't know, just not a great team name. All right, so you mentioned it, Cease. We are going to talk real quick about uh, the Brian Flores situation. He is trying to get a class action lawsuit against the NFL going. Uh, he interviewed for a couple jobs. First of all, he got fired by the Dolphins. He's interviewed for a couple jobs. Bill Belichick doesn't know how to operate technology and kind of leaked that he was going to be the favorite for the Giants job. Found out that he meant to text Brian Dable, not Brian, uh, Brian Flores. He just doesn't know technology and tried to text one Brian over the other. Um, but it's basically said that they already had their decision made before Brian Flores interviewed. Uh, he is claiming that there's some racist tendencies in the hiring practices. Some other uh, African-American minority coaches have come out and kind of agreed with them in certain ways, saying, you know, we had to do how many interviews before we got hired or all these different things. Uh, he also came out saying that he, as you said, Cecil, uh, the owner, Stephen Ross, of the Dolphins offered him $100,000 to lose each game. We knew the Dolphins kind of wanted to tank, and, and Cecil, we had talked about 
for the last couple of years, Brian Flores was exceeding expectations with that Dolphins roster. They're still right in the middle of that rebuild. They might have Tua, and, you know, he's a decent young quarterback at the least, but, like, they still have a lot of pieces they need to fill out, and he's done a great job. Yes, he may have had issues with Tua from a bat, you know, batting heads kind of thing, but they have done well, and I don't know. It just it, it kind of adds to this story. Uh, from what I can tell, if he he might be able to prove that Stephen Ross was going to pay him to lose games, which that may be grounds to lose ownership if you're going to mess with the integrity of the game. If you think about how many lawsuits that would open. Uh, in terms of gambling and everything, the SEC would be involved, I'm sure. The FBI would be involved, I'm sure. Uh, that That is a huge, huge deal if that does come to light. And then the racism thing, I don't – the statistics back it up. Yes, there are some racist tendencies when it comes to hiring. Yes, the Rooney Rule doesn't exactly work. Some people just hi- – they, they do the interview to get rid of the Rooney Rule out of the way. Then they go hire the candidate they were going to hire anyway. Uh, that might be harder to prove than the tanking – you know, paying money to tank – uh, but we do know there's still a problem in terms of hiring of minority coaches in the NFL. So there's there's obviously a lot going on with this. And, you know, Brian Flores has pretty much said, I don't want a coaching job right now uh, by doing this, by, by, by suing the NFL. He's saying, I don't want a head coaching job right now because there's no way anyone's going to hire him in the middle of this litigation. Uh, so I mean, props for him for standing up for what he believes in. There's obviously statistics that will back up what he says. It's just very, very hard to prove on a case-by-case basis, and that's what's going to be tough. No, exactly. I agree with you on all that. Um, alternative reason Bill Belichick did this. You know, obviously, maybe he's an old man that's in, inept with smartphones and doesn't understand that there might be multiple Brian's in his phone. Um, I think maybe he did it on purpose to make Goodell's life of living nightmare. So, alternative facts there for you. Um, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, Brian Flores has shown he's been one of the better coaches over the last three years while he's been with the Dolphins. Got fired unceremoniously um, in what well, you both and I said was a terrible move by the Dolphins. Um, just utter stupidity. What he's been, able to, he's been able to do more with less, which is a lot more than most coaches in the NFL can. Um, and then I don't, they haven't really come out to say how long the Stephen Ross was trying to bribe in the tank. If it was just like in the first year when they're trying to get the first overall pick or if it's even been up to, you know, recent times, because if he's still trying to make him tank at this point, I'd go, what the hell are they trying to do? Um, their owner's an idiot. Um, he should be, I mean, honestly, he should also have to sell the team. Him and Dan Snyder, I don't know. Half, I feel like just there's a couple owners in the NFL that just really should just go. You know, they're not good businessmen. They're not really good people. They don't really, you know, you can be a millionaire. You don't have to be a great person to be a billionaire. Everyone knows that. But it's like to own like an NFL team, something that's so important to so many people, um, you can at least be a halfway decent human being. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what's happened to Brian Flores is awful it's unfortunate um i mean we've all known like there's a good chance that that very well could have happened i mean you talk about even up to last year's coaching cycle uh marvin lewis was getting you know rumors about he was going to get interviewed you know for head coaching jobs and 
pretty much most of that came from because they have to interview a minority candidate because of the Rooney Rule. Um, Jim Caldwell is the same way this coaching cycle. They were going to go, well, they're going to hire Jim Caldwell, and it seems like people literally just pick minority coaches they know of, which is very few, um, and just said, hey, they're going to interview for the job. And, I mean, that shows you right there how many, like I just said, how many minority coaches there are. How many minority former head coaches or coordinators are in the NFL right now is a big problem. There's plenty of position coaches, but for some reason they just don't get above that level. Um, I don't think it's something that's overt by any means, but, you know, for something to be racist and discriminatory, it doesn't necessarily have to be overtly prejudiced on purpose. But sometimes it's just systematic. It's just something that happens. It's something that's more, you know, perceived than it is something tangibly, someone making a choice. Because I don't think the NFL is purposely not promoting minority coaches. I just think they're not set up the same way. I don't think they have, you know, the history. Because a lot of these coaches, you know, there's a lot of people there on their own merit. But there's also a lot of coaches in this league that are there because of the connections they have either as a former player or a lot of times, too, they're related to somebody else. Um, they're related to another former coach or they're the son of some great coach. And, you know, you kind of get – to get into coaching is not the easiest, especially on the NFL level. Um, you need a strong mentor. And a lot of these guys' mentors are either, you know, they're, you know, their uncle, their father, their father-in-law, somebody that's, that's close to them. Um, and then, you know, you've got people who are actually, you know, good at their jobs. And a lot of those guys are still good, but – um, there's definitely some nepotism within the NFL. I don't think anyone is shocked to me by that statement. And I don't think, I think it's more of a, a nepotism thing than it is a race thing at the end of the day. I think race plays a part in it because most of the nepotism is mostly white people. Um, so it's definitely a racist problem, but I think bigger than that, it might also be a, a nepotism problem that's causing a lot of coaches not getting opportunities because they don't get a chance to make the connections about a lot of these guys who keep getting these head coaching jobs um, and then continue to get second chances at those jobs because they are able to build up this coaching network that these guys just don't get the opportunity to, unfortunately. And that's the reality. So it's, it's, it's systematic racism. It's not, I don't think, purposeful, and I don't think the court case will be able to prove that. I mean, maybe there's an owner or two who is racist. That wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think the NFL on a systematic level is doing that and purposely trying to keep minorities from making it through. Um, at least I hope not. If they aren't, I mean, who knows? After the John Gruden and Dan Snyder emails, there could be more. I could, you know, maybe the NFL isn't benev- as benevolent as I would hope or at least, you know, just apathetic and not caring towards one way or another. Um, but yeah, it's good for Brian Flores for speaking out, and I know there's a lot of minority coaches that have felt the same way, and I think it's good for the league to address it and honestly evolve beyond the Rooney Rule, because the rule, I think, was has good intent, um, you know, having to, you know, interview a minority candidate when clearly there is a dearth of them in the hierarch- hierarchies of coaching staffs, um, 
but it seems like it's more of a checkbox than it is the actual intent of the rule, which was to give more minority coaches a fair shot at the table and more kind of introduction to, you know, a lot of these organizations and the organization's decision makers. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of interviews, you know, if you're in the corporate world out there in a large company, you don't necessarily always get the job when you interview for it. And sometimes you interview for jobs and it's not always, you know, you may not get that job, but there's still important takeaways you can get from that because you can, you now have a repertoire and have another connection with somebody who does make those kind of decisions. And that might lead to an opportunity down the way or word of mouth when another position opens. And that's what it's kind of was supposed to be like with the Rooney rule. If you didn't get the job, if you did a good interview, word would get out and hopefully it helped you get an NFL job in the near future. However, it turned into the opposite where I've just got to interview this guy and it sounds like from what some of these stories Brian Flores is telling, especially the one with John Elway and the Broncos uh, organization, is they just completely phoned it in and didn't care. Which, if that's the case, that's just terrible. I mean, that's not what the rule's supposed to be. And I mean, it's another black eye for the NFL is what all this is, ultimately. Um, you know, they've been talking about, you know, diversity and, you know, I've got and racism on the hats and stuff now. Um, and they, they just straight up aren't doing enough. You know, Roger Goodell was very against, didn't really like the players were protesting and everything during the anthem. So, and then suddenly he changed his mind. So, the NFL at the end of the day is a very money conscious driven league and they will only basically do what they think will make the most money which is a shame but at least hopefully this and the outrage hopefully it does cause will uh, cause them to change some things and uh, create a uh, better system for the future. That is the hope. The NFL is currently bleeding Cecil. The They just settled with the city of St. Louis removing the Rams. $500 million dollars. Uh, they have this going on, this this lawsuit coming up. They have Dan Snyder's lawsuits and everything going on there. They have John Gruden's emails. Uh, and there's probably more out there. Uh, so they have a lot of stuff going on that, you know, I don't think there's ever been this much, this much going on at once in terms of of how much how bad it is. They have one of their star quarterbacks who didn't play this year because of speculation about um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and Deshaun Watson. There are lots of things going on that I just don't ever remember seeing all at once. Um, so they need to get things cleaned up and, and it might end up being that Brian Flores has to gets a settlement in his suit. It seems like he's trying to fight for more. Hopefully these people um, at the NFL can kind of change their ways and kind of help cultivate this change uh, in terms of the whole league because there are a lot of qualified candidates for these jobs that were passed over, are getting passed over and that's just not okay. So hopefully for the better better of football in the future, we can get this cleaned up. And hopefully, you know, the NFL has a lot of things they need to clean up in terms of their lawyers have been working hard this year. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at it, it all kind of makes sense, though. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of the amount of money the NFL is worth now versus, you know, let's say 20 to 30 years ago, um, it's astronomical. If you look at a lot of these owners – a lot of them had the teams pretty much either since their founding or pretty close. And, I mean, the teams don't get sold very often, most of them. Um, 
they stay in the same family or the same group of owners for a long, long time. It's hard to buy into an NFL team. So a lot of these guys at the top have been running this league like it's like still the 1970s or something where, you know, it was popular and everything, but it wasn't, you know, a hundreds of billions of dollars industry year in and year out. Like, the NFL has really just emerged, you know, under Goodell um, to just be this absolute powerhouse of revenue. It's the only thing on earth it seems like people will watch live TV for anymore, and that and other sports. So, I think it's just a byproduct of, you know, they became way more affluent than originally thought, and when you become such a large money-making thing, you know... You can't act like you're some little expansion, you know, team in the, you know, NFL when every other league was becoming defunct and just say and do stupid things that are, one, offensive, especially in the modern day, and two, just absolutely irresponsible and careless. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense why this is all going on because at the end of the day, the like the league, the microscope on the league and the revenue they're bringing in has increased way more than really the structure and kind of the discipline of the ownerships that have been here since kind of the beginning. And they're always going to be kind of a problem, honestly. And I mean, you can look at a lot of sports leagues and this happens, but the NFL is kind of unique in all these guys didn't buy these franchises for a lot. And now they're all billionaires because of them. And, some of them just straight up don't know how to act. Yeah, that that is 100% true. Um, and I do think there needs to be, um, if, if owners aren't living up to whatever standards are out there, they need to be forced to sell the team. You mentioned two owners already that are that are under the microscope and maybe need to sell the team. Uh, just Not just that, but if there's some owners out there who aren't trying to win actively, then they need to give up the team too. It needs to be more competitive. Uh, and that needs to be something that kind of gets looked at. There's some teams who have had some up years, and they have some down years, and then down years end up lasting, and that's not good for the sport either. All right, so we hope the NFL gets this cleaned up. We're going to go into the specifics of the head coaching changes now, maybe give our grades for each head coaching change. Uh, we'll start it off alphabetically by the by the division name. So AFC East is where we're going to start, and the Miami Dolphins, right with Brian Flores, who was fired. Uh, we agree that that is not the greatest thing he deserved to have the job still uh but if you clash with your superiors it sometimes goes that way even if you're doing your job 100 percent well so they fire brian flores they end up hiring mike mcdaniel he is the offensive coordinator for the 49ers uh he comes over as on the shanahan coaching tree he worked with sean McVay back with the washington redskins staff back in 2013 uh which now has i think like a sixth of the league worked on that staff even though the team i think went like won like three games that year but he's bounced around the league. He's been here forever. We Yale educated. Um, I really like his demeanor. I think he's a guy who is like a subtle. He's not a in-your-face type of guy, but he's a guy who looks like he can get the most out of his players. So I'm going to give this a B plus. Cease, what are you thinking? Um, I like Mike McDaniel. Um, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it an A minus. I think he was one of the more underrated coaches in the cycle. Um, I mean, the 49ers players absolutely love him. Um, I mean, he, it's just kind of a, he doesn't look like, you know, the head coach you think. He seems like just kind of like a, this young guy. I mean, he's only, I mean, he's only 38, but I mean, that's become the new trend. And I mean, the 
I mean, these players respond to these younger coaches because I think they just are able to identify with them more. I think the coaches are much more open to working with the players versus the kind of old school NFL, you know, coach mentality where you work for me and, you know, you're going to do ways, things the way I want them to be done and that's the end of it. I don't care what your input is. You know, short of the uh, Urban Meyer technique he tried to bring in, um, that kind of coaching just doesn't work in the NFL, especially in the modern era. So, I mean, I think you find somebody that's a good leader, somebody that, you know, the players come to love and will play for, um, and then obviously has a good repertoire, can put together a good staff. Those are the three things you're looking for. And obviously leadership is not the most quantifiable thing at times, especially, you know, if you're a first-time head coach, you don't know what leadership's 100% going to look like. But, I mean, if the players already like him that much in San Francisco and it's well-documented that they do, he comes from a strong kind of coaching background, um, and has shown success in the 49ers offense, who has Jimmy Garoppolo as their freaking quarterback. Um, I'll take that all day. Is he an upgrade over Brian Flores? I don't think so, but he's an offensive-minded head coach that I think could really help Tua out, and I think that's kind of the more of the priority right now for them. And, um, yeah, I, I think he'll do a good job in Miami. Um, as long as their owner decides to get out of the way and let them just uh, cultivate a football team around Tua, that that would be nice. You know, no no tanking anymore. You got Tua. You got some good players. Let's see what you can do. Let's move on to the Texans, Cecil. They fired David Coley um, after one year. We had non-ironically talked about him legitimately being a guy who should be coach of the year this year, uh, or at least in contention for coach of the year. Sorry. And he, because he got four wins out of a roster that was one of the worst I've ever seen in my life, with Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback who I like as a system quarterback, but not much talented people around him. Uh, And then on top of that, Davis Mills got a lot of starts. He was a third-round draft pick and just not the guy that you thought would be leading the team from the start. So he gets fired, another coach that uh, probably shouldn't have been who was fired. They decide to hire Lovey Smith and Cecil. I'll get to my rant real quick here, and I'll let you get to it, but this gets an F. Lovey Smith was on the staff this year that you had to fire the head coach in his first year of that. That's not you, like that. You want to rebuild. You want to change. So you're going to fire the head coach. You're bringing in someone who was on the staff. And now Lovey Smith, I don't think he deserved to be fired from the beer from the Bears. Sorry, from the Bears from the Bears all those years ago. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but since the, leaving the Bears, he kind of got fired by the Bucks, and rightfully so. He went eight and twenty-four in two years there. He went to coach the University of Illinois. And he did not so well there. He uh, he started off kind of okay, then he kind of fell off the map, and then he comes back to the Texans this past year. And you know, if you're gonna say there was a fault in the coaching staff, I mean, I don't know what Dave Coley did. I wasn't in that building, but it just seems weird that they would go hire someone who was on the coaching staff before, and now hasn't had the most good track record of recent success. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I would have loved for them to keep Dave Coley and see what he could have done as they build the roster out. But that is not longer, no longer possible. It is Lovey Smith, Cease. Oh, yeah, this is an absolute F. Um, I mean, Lovey Smith basically got run out of Illinois by the end. Let's be honest there. Um, like you said, I didn't think he should have been necessarily fired when he got fired from Chicago all those years ago. But that was like over a decade ago. Um, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who, 
you know, was relevant forever ago. You know, I haven't seen anything about Lolly Smith being, you know, this great innovator at this point, or really even that much of a motivational guy. He just, he's failed multiple times since Chicago. Um, and for some reason, Houston decided to promote someone within the own staff to be the head coach of this team. You know, if they wanted to get someone young and dynamic, maybe I'd get that, because that was the only thing with the Coley firing, is he is an older gentleman. Uh, to turn this team around is going to take a lot. But to just give it to Lovey Smith doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, hell, they might as well go find Roby and Cornell and make him head coach again. Um, it's basically the same thing. Or, I mean, you could find Eric Mangini or, you know, one of these just retread guys who were good for a couple seasons and then, you know, everywhere else they went, they just, you know, the head coaching jobs, they just didn't work out. So, yeah, it's an absolute F. Um, the Texans are not going to get better with this pick. There's nothing about this that says, hey, I really believe the Texans are in a good spot now or at least building something. I think they just went, all right, that's not really working. Let's slap a Band-Aid on with Lovey Smith. Which isn't, I mean, if you're going to pick a recently, like a, a kind of old, fired NFL head coach, I could find a couple that are way better than him. Um, so, yeah, I I don't like it at all. Bad, 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 bad choice for head coach. And the Texans will suffer because of it. I think I might have to double down on my uh, worst team in the NFL bet for next year. Oh, boy, you're tempting me already. And, Cease, it does seem like they're maybe trying to get the number one pick next year because they do need a quarterback. I don't think Davis Mills is the answer. He did play very, very well this year for what we expected. Uh, but maybe they're trying to play for that number one pick. And if so, they're just going to fire Lovey Smith after one more year. And that is uh, just like a probability at this point if they're going to fire people after, fire Dave Coley after what he did. So uh, we're going to watch very closely to the Texans, and we're probably going to make that bet again. Uh, in the same division is another really bad team, the Jaguars. They fired Urban Meyer. They That was a very tumultuous thing, Urban Meyer, coming in, hiring a strength coach from Iowa who had been accused uh, of racism and everything. He resigns. He has the off-the-field distractions at his bar in Columbus. He has um, just saying he's going to cut players based on their, their COVID vaccination status, which is something that the NFL said you couldn't do. Tons of stuff that just went right and wrong. He, there was points where he was asked about players on his team. He didn't know how many snaps they played, uh, even a ballpark about it. It is It was bad. So they need something new. They need something fresh. They go hire Doug Peterson, the former Eagles head coach. Uh, we know that he won that Super Bowl with the Eagles. We also know that a couple of years later, he's already out on the market. He did not coach this year. Um, that He just took the year off, which, I mean, it happens. So uh, he is now going to take over this job. He's going to take over Trevor Lawrence. Honestly, I give it a B, B minus here, C's. This is because... He has shown he can win a Super Bowl. He has shown that he can he can get the most out of his talent in that way. But we also have the fact that he also was the the guy that was supposed to help Carson Wentz get together and, and kind of get his career together. And they end up trading Carson Wentz uh, and moving on with Jalen Hurts. And Carson Wentz got worse over his time with the Eagles. Some of it may be due to injury and mechanics, but uh, we're trying to get or trying to get uh, Trevor Lawrence to a new level here. He's good offensive mind. I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it if he couldn't do it with Carson Wentz. Uh, yes, Trevor Lawrence is expected to be a better pro than Carson Wentz, but that's kind of where my hesitation is. If he can get the most out of Trevor Lawrence, 
you know, that's a very, very good hire, but just whatever happened in Philadelphia just didn't end very well for him. Right. Here's the I'm going to give it a C. Because I'm not as high on Doug Peterson. Um, you look at the Eagles in that Super Bowl run, how much of that stuff was Doug Peterson first being, you know, Jim Schwartz on defense and Frank Wright on offense? I mean, you look at those two, those two are great. They're great at their jobs. Sure, I'll give Doug Peterson a little credit for obviously steering the ship. You know, call, you know them running the Philly, Philly play, all that kind of stuff was great. Um, but a lot of it, you know, was unorthodox and only kind of worked because it was just so shocking at the time um, with Nick Foles. And I mean, they were just, I mean, they were just playing the play, and like that Super Bowl run was improbable and, and just fantastic to watch. They always be a great, you know, season with the Eagles there. But after that, things got bad quick. Once he he lost Frank Wright, he lost Jim Schwartz. Uh, they couldn't figure it out. Carson Wentz continued to get worse. I mean, Carson Wentz has continued to get worse even since then. Now on the Colts, but I think you look at Doug Peterson and you go, I mean, he can't be worse than Urban Meyer. He's a safe pick. He's not going to like destroy Trevor Lawrence's career. But at the same time, is he really going to elevate his play to a point that, like, it could be at where someone, you know, like Brian Leftridge, who a lot of people thought was a frontrunner to get the job, who I thought would have been better, you know, one, have Jacksonville Jaguars, former QB, and, you know, first-round pick, you know, face the franchise, come back and become the head coach. Um, I thought, you know be a great story and honestly he's very qualified and has done very well under Bruce Arians obviously at Tom Brady but um, I just think Brian Leftwich was going to be the better you know younger more innovative head coach and you know Trent Baalke being the GM really threw some you know some stuff in the works there because people do not like Trent Baalke the GM of the Jaguars they think he's uh, he's not the best and I believe he was the GM of the 49ers uh, when the whole Jim Harbaugh leaving thing and the fight they had. Um, I believe that was also at the same time. So, not a great GM. Um, I think the better candidates kind of fell away because of that. And Doug Peterson's kind of just the safe middle of the road pick you get out of it. I mean, hopefully Trevor Lawrence is able to develop under him, but I just think they kind of just settled. I think so, too. And if they would have granted uh, Byron Leftwich's request to have Aaron Glenn as GM, I would have probably given it an A. But uh, it's some things that I think some of these owners don't like giving up control, and uh, that would have been what it was because it's just not someone you can control if you're bringing in someone new necessarily. So... Uh, the Jaguars, they need to get this one right for Trevor Lawrence's sake. Uh, it doesn't seem like we have too much faith, but we will see how it goes. In the in the excuse me, in the AFC West, the Denver Broncos fired Vic Fangio, another one of these coaches we thought that maybe just wasn't necessarily fired for the right reasons. He was doing decently well. They just didn't have a quarterback. Well, the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, who has worked with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers the last several years. Aaron Rodgers loves Nathaniel Hackett and said, if he ever leaves, I might be going with them, basically. Um, 
that makes me, my grade on this can very conditional, Cecil. It is a B. I think he is a good football mind from what I've seen. Uh, it is a B if they do not sign Aaron Rodgers. If they do not, or if they're not able to get him on to Denver, it is a B. If it is, if they do get Aaron Rodgers, it's an A. You get you get the quarterback. You get what your roster is missing. If you were hiring him to get to Aaron Rodgers, I'm 100% okay with that overall. Yes, you're going to have to figure things out in three years, but we know what the Broncos can do. Uh, this defense is just as good, uh, maybe not just as good, but they're they're pretty good. Kind of like the 2015 Broncos. So get that quarterback, get that Super Bowl, and figure out everything else later. Um, that is why I'm going to say B if they get Rodgers, A if they do not. Or, excuse me, A if they get Rodgers, B if they do not. Uh, it's just, it seems like that's their motive with this hire, though, Cease. Yeah, dude. I mean, seriously, if they could land Aaron Rodgers, pull that off because they took this offensive coordinator from Green Bay, um, that'll be absolutely amazing and a masterstroke by the Broncos. Um, even if it's not, though, I mean, he still was a talked-about candidate. Um, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers has had one MVP, probably two, after this week's votes are selected. You know, two MVP seasons under him. And um, obviously Matt LaFleur is there as well. But Nathaniel Hackett is a big part of that. Aaron Rodgers loves him. And you know how much Aaron Rodgers seems to not be a big fan of Matt LaFleur at times. So, um if that's what's going to sway Aaron Rodgers, he goes, you know what, I want out. The Broncos go, all right, we'll give you guys, you know, some first-round picks for him. I think it's absolutely a masterstroke. And, you know, they're playing 40 chess over there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll see on that. There's a lot of offseason still on bold. But, I mean, either way, I think he'll be a successful head coach in the league just based on, again, being someone the guys of the team enjoy and, want to be around and, you know, being part of a successful team, especially one, and be able to work with a player of Aaron Rodgers' caliber because obviously that makes things easier, but it also gives you perspective and the ability to look at what those guys, kind of, you know, those upper echelon Hall of Famer type quarterbacks and players are able to do and teach that and give advice and mentor other young quarterbacks you get talk to them because you've seen what these other quarterbacks can do can offer that wisdom and knowledge to help them develop into a better quarterback absolutely that is the this is part of the biggest offseason storyline this year will Aaron Rodgers move will Russell Wilson move and this hire might have something to do with it so it is just worth noting and keeping an eye on this offseason it seems like the media members are saying it's either Green Bay or Denver um we'll see we know how I, I i don't know how to say this um hot and cold aaron Rodgers runs with the front office it seems like sometimes it's going well sometimes it's not so it's a long off season we'll see what happens like it's just it's like a bad relationship man they just can't, <laughs> eat, they just can't get enough of each other it's just yeah it's a to- toxic relationship <laughs> oh yeah all right we're moving on to the raiders uh we know that john gruden resigned uh, in the middle of the season due to those emails that came out uh, that was, you know, using uh, misogynistic, racist, all the type of language you don't want to see, uh, sexist language, all, all of that. So he is, he's resigned. Uh, he has a lawsuit against the NFL right now as well, claiming that more people should have had their emails leaked. That's something to keep an eye on, too. Uh, they have Rich Bisaccia saying, uh, coming in and doing a really good, good job getting them into the playoffs in a very, very tough division. In the AFC West, they got to the playoffs, lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Uh, he is now moving on because they decided to hire someone else, and that person is Josh McDaniels. Uh, yes, he is famous for being the head coach in Denver. Yes, he's famous for yelling at Tom Brady on the sidelines, and he is famous for being Bill Belichick's offensive coordinator uh, at a couple of different stints here. Uh, I give this one a CC. I do like his offensive mindset. I do not. I don't think it's necessarily a Bill Belichick assistant thing that I'm, I'm opposed to because I do like Brian Flores. But I think he's more of just an offensive coordinator. Just from everything I've seen, it just doesn't seem like he is a head coach. If he does do well, I, then great for him. I really am, am happy. But it does seem like he's more of one of those offensive gurus that people like to say, but maybe not the guy that's going to be in charge. I'll give it a C. Um, it's obviously something to look forward to after the John Gruden stuff. They have a lot of decisions to make regarding that roster. But uh, I'll say C, C+. Plus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B-. minus. Um, you know, just to really spite you. Um, but here's the big thing um, with Josh McDaniels. I mean, he was one of the hottest coaching candidates when he took the Colts job and then decided he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and then, you know, he's been with Brady for a long time. You know, he's been under Belichick. You know, he had that step with the Broncos that didn't go great. And I think, you know, he learned a lot from that experience from what we've heard him talk about. Now he kind of was trying to be Bill Belichick the whole time instead of being himself. So I think he has learned a lot. And two, I really like the way they were able to develop and make an offense for the Patriots this year and uh, develop Mac Jones as well. Because let's be honest, Bill Belichick's a great coach, um, but he is a more defensive-minded guy at the end of the day. Obviously, he knows offense. He knows everything in the game. But when it comes to scheming, you know, he's a defensive guy at heart. And Josh McDaniels does a lot of the offensive play calling and a lot of the offensive installs and all that stuff. A lot of that is Josh McDaniels. And the way they've been able to morph the offense from Tom Brady to Cam Newton to Mac Jones and let Mac Jones have a very successful rookie campaign. Um, You know, they even make the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. I mean, that's impressive. And... I don't know if it's a slam dunk, but I'm hoping, you know, he does a little bit better this time around than he did with the Broncos. Yeah, I, I, I hope he does. I mean, for, I do think that uh, he's got that mindset. If he has changed his ways in terms of managing the locker room, everyone on the outside has said that he is the coach that had them the most prepared when they played for the Broncos. And if you listen to anyone like Brandon Marshall talk about it, most prepared, Josh McDaniels have the most prepared to play. It's more of a motivation and managing the locker room type thing. Uh, If he can do that, if he can get people to buy in, that he could be the A-plus coach of this. But if everything goes the way it did last time, it's going to be, you know, he's going to get fired in a couple years. That's just how the coaching business is. So uh, one of the more interesting hires, though, for sure, that he turned down the Colts job a few years ago, and now he's going to the Raiders. Something, I guess, to be taken from that is maybe that Bill Belichick isn't going anywhere anytime soon because McDaniels maybe wanted that Patriots job. Over to the NFC. In the NFC East, we're going to start with the New York Giants. Joe Judge was fired. Uh, that was a comical couple years in New York for him with the whole coaches running laps, the players running laps if they make mistakes, um, and just a lot of good quotes if you want to go back through it. Uh, they needed a new guy. They got Brian Dable. And see, I'm giving this one an A. Um, there were times this year where I do think that he, as a play caller, could have done better. Um, but he is a good coach. He helped develop Josh Allen. 
Daniel Jones is someone they either need to get to work this year or they're going to draft a new quarterback that they're going to have to develop. So either way, if he develops Daniel Jones and it works out, or they pick him a quarterback in next year's draft class, which is uh, significantly better on paper right now than this year's, then he's this is someone you need. You need to have a quarterback developed. Uh, this is a really good start. I think having Brian Dable as coach is a significant upgrade from Joe Judge. Right. I absolutely love Brian Dable. I've been a big fan of his this offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Between what he did with Josh Allen, um, you know, how they really built up that passing attack, obviously, even before Stephon Diggs, they were doing a lot of great things. Um, they got away from the run a little bit this year, but all the way it kind of worked out with the way Josh Allen was being able to do things and make plays with his feet. And really, he was able to maximize everything about Josh Allen and really minimize all of his weak points, especially that we saw, you know, with accuracy issues and decision-making when we were, you know, evaluating him during the draft of his year. Um, so I think he is a great guy, you know, go New York. The GM was, uh, you know, big you know, executive for the Bills. So I think they have a great working relationship. I think they both know what they want to build this team. And I think they have a proven track record with the Bills to uh, take the Giants to new heights. I do as well. Excited to see what he can do in New York. And for all the, I mean, development or change that that organization is going to have over the next couple of years. In the NFC North, on the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy is fired. Something we've said for a couple of years that needs to happen. Just seemed to lose the locker room, not be able to develop quarterbacks. And from what's coming out lately, didn't really listen to his players when they told him things were messed up or not going the right way. Um, and that's just something that's not going to work in the NFL. So they have decided to hire Matt Eberflus, who is the, the defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I really do like him as a coach, Cease. He really got the most out of a Colts defense with a lot of unheralded player, unheralded players uh, from guys who were undrafted to to Darius Leonard, who was drafted in the middle rounds of the draft, maybe not expected to have such an impact. He has done a fantastic job. I do wonder about the fit, though, because this is something where when they hired a new coach, I really did want them to get a really good offensive coordinator they got the Packers quarterbacks coach, passing game coordinator. That wasn't Nathaniel Hackett uh, as their offensive coordinator. I think it's Luke Getze is his name. Um, I would have liked them to get a better offensive coordinator with them. I know it's technically not so – you're not supposed to grade based on what coordinators are coming with them here. But I'll, I'll say it's a B because I like Eberflus so much. But I do worry that the biggest thing that's important uh, is the development of Justin Fields because they're not going to get one of these big free agent quarterbacks most likely – and you just drafted Justin Fields, you got to get the most out of him. Uh, I don't know if Getze was even really on the radar as like one of these up-and-coming guys that you want to develop your quarterback. So for that reason, even though Eberflus is really good defensively and I think could be a good head coach, there's still some question marks there about how he, why he was hired for this job specifically when Justin Fields is the most important thing to this franchise right now. Oh, absolutely. And um, when it comes to Matt Nagy, I think anybody could be a better head coach than he was over the last year or so for the Chicago Bears. I think the Bears organization could have literally gotten a cardboard cutout of Mike Ditka, put it on the sideline, and during a giant windstorm, would that cardboard cutout would still be a better head coach than Matt Nagy would. Um, I'm just saying. So anything is obviously an upgrade, but 
I'm going to give Eberflus a C because I just – I think the defense of the Colts has done well, but I don't think they've ever really been elite. And, you know, that's what we're kind of looking at these days when it comes to defensive coordinators becoming head coaches in my eyes because it is such an offensive-driven league. And you look at all these head coaching hires, almost all of them – I mean, I think every last one of them except for this one – have been offensive-minded because that's where the league is at at this point. And I, I respect the Bears and their mentality that, you know, they want to be the monsters of the midway and go back to doing things the way the Bears do them. But why don't you find a different defensive coordinator or hell? Just get Vic Fangio back, man. Just make Vic Fangio your head coach. We're great before, and players know him. They know the system. That's when this Bears defense was best. If you wanted to do something like that, do it with Vic Fangio. I don't think Eberflus and installing a new system and hoping it works out, especially with the, the staff around him that seems to be going with him. I just don't think it's a setup for success. I think Justin Fields will probably still struggle. And I think maybe the defense obviously will get a little better with Eberflus, but I don't think it's going to be enough to make up for what they're going to lock up for development at the quarterback position and still in the offense. I mean, the wide receiver core, I think Allen Robinson is a free agent this year. He's probably going to walk because he's going to go, I, I mean, I'm getting almost zero touches a game, it feels like. Um, so, yeah, I just don't really see how the offense is going to develop without an offensive-minded head coach. It's going to be very offense-first mentality. We all know they have the defense. We've seen it for the last five years, the Bears. problem is they haven't been able to do anything on offense, and that's what's been causing them games, and it seems like they just made the same mistake, and if they were going to go that route, that's fine, but I think there were better options than Eberflus if you're going defensive minded head coach. I mean, I like Eberflus, but I did think that with him was a package of an offensive coordinator like Pep Hamilton, and he's been a guy who's been credited with developing quarterbacks, and I think that's what they're missing, and I've heard that this offseason, I believe on uh, the Pardon My Take podcast, that the Bears owners, the McCaskies, they're like, they're like, stuck 20 30 years behind the times like it's a really cool mom and pop shop type of organization and they care about you and they're good people but i think what you said about having an offensive minded coach is something that needs to be said too for for them especially is just you got to get with the times and it seems like the times are offensive minded or like kind of like i said if you're gonna get the defensive minded guy cool make sure you get someone with him as a good offensive minded coach if you have a young quarterback in the same division sees minnesota vikings side of fire mike zimmer he had plenty of years there, and they just never really got to where they wanted to go. There were some great moments like the Minnesota Miracle, but it seemed like things were waning, and they maybe need to rebuild this roster, even though they have been decently done decently well at certain years. So they decide, to, they decide to hire Kevin O'Connell, a former quarterback from San Diego State, drafted in the third round of 2008 draft. He has been a assistant coach since 2015, uh, shortly after he ended his NFL career in 2012. Uh, he's bounced around. He is obviously also aligned with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, worked with them in the past. Um, and he's the offense coordinator for the Rams, so he will be coaching the Rams in the Super Bowl, and then he will be taking this job. So really cool for him to be able to maybe get a Super Bowl and then get a new job. Uh, for this one, I think this is a B for me as well. I know I've been given a lot of Bs, but I think there are just a lot of, like, okay, good hires, but not great. Um 
I do like him. He's been an off- offensive coordinator for two years. I, there's some guys on this list who've only been a coordinator for one year, and that's a little bit concerning too. I would like to have them have more experience doing uh, doing that before they get the head coaching job. But two years as offensive coordinator, he's worked with two different quarterbacks, Jared Goff and now Matt Stafford. He's had two years to learn from McVay as the offensive coordinator. Um, we've seen how it's worked out for the Bengals and Zach Taylor, um, being a former quarterback slash offensive coordinator under Sean McVay in L.A. So I'll give it a B. They, I think the bigger problem here, Cease, is the, the GM's office and what they're going to do going into the future. Do you stick with Kirk Cousins? Do you figure that out? Um, that obviously impacts the coaching, this coaching hire and everything, but that is more important than the coaching hire, in my opinion, is, is figuring out the roster management portion. So that's why I'm going to give it a B. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's a B, too. I don't think I'm really, like, super excited about the pick, but, I mean, everybody that's come out of Sean McVay so far, I mean, you have Zach Taylor, you got Matt LaFleur, both are, you know, great NFL head coaches right now. You know, one in the Super Bowl, one was the number one overall seed in the NFC um, two years in a row. So, I mean, there's a there's pretty good dynamic there. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean everything. You know, eventually, maybe someone misses. Um, but, you know, he's offensive-minded guy. Um, it's really going to be what kind of staff is he going to bring with him? Because, honestly, at this point, I feel like a lot of the staffers for the Sean McVay trade and the Kyle Shanahan trade are kind of all used up. Because, I mean, these guys keep getting promoted out after a year, but... Who's left to steal from these staffs at this point? Because it seems like every year somebody's getting promoted. So it's not like the whole staff can leave every single time unless you're going to promote somebody. So I do wonder what its staff's going to look like. Um, you know, it'll be interested again, moving to offense. The Vikings with Mike Zimmer, it just kind of felt stale. You know, he's a defensive guy, he's conservative, and it just felt like they weren't really lighting anything up. They're just kind of just trying to run the ball with Dalvin Cook. And then, you know, I would feel like Justin Jefferson were there if they absolutely had to throw the ball. But now I think this this will be a great mentality change. Is Kirk Cousins going to get better? I don't think so. I think Kirk Cousins is going to be Kirk Cousins from here on out. But I think they'll take more chances downfield, which I think will be better for Justin Jefferson. And I think they'll try to get Dalvin Cook even more involved than he already is. So ultimately – I think the weapons around Kirk Cousins will get better after this. And I think the defense, you know, will just stay where it's at, maybe get a little better, just get a new coordinator in there and everything, a new staff. Uh, but, yeah, overall, only time's going to tell with this one, just like it did with the last couple times that someone's lost the Sean McVay coaching staff. It doesn't really seem like it's going to be set up for success because we don't really know that much about these guys. So only time will really tell uh, what it looks like. Uh, that is very, very true. Uh, we're, I'm sure we're going to look back on this uh, podcast in two years and be like, what were we thinking? But that's how it comes with this territory. Uh, the next head coach, Cecil, the uh, the head coaching job that is open that was filled, the New Orleans Saints. This was more unexpected. We talked about it on the last pod we had. Sean Payton decided to step away uh, kind of unexpectedly. And they hired Dennis Allen, who was the defensive coordinator. He's a longtime Saints assistant. Uh, you might also have heard of him from the uh, Oakland Raiders head coach, 2012-2014. That did not go very well. But he's been at New Orleans for a very long time, before his time in Oakland, after his time in Oakland. He's been there ever since he was a head coach in Oakland. 
Um, I mentioned previously, I don't know why you fire a head coach only to promote someone else. I think in this case where a, a, I guess a head coach decides to step down, resign, I think keeping the continuity is good. I'm going to give this a B. The Saints defense has performed really, really well the last couple of years, uh, better than I would have ever expected, and they've kind of kept teams in games, and, and even when the offense hasn't been so great. Uh, the Saints have tons of cap room issues as well, so... I don't know if, what new faces are going to be there, what they're going to do to get rid of some people. I think keeping the continuity is good. And, and honestly, Dennis Allen may not be able to save this franchise because they're looking for a quarterback and they're also having all these cap issues where they're $70 million over the cap. I don't think it's going to be the reason they win or the reason they lose. And for that reason, I give it a B. It's just, it's just roster salary cap mismanagement is mainly the thing. And having continuity might be a good thing because – you know, Sean Payton did a really good job with this team over the last several years. I'm going to give it a C, because on the other side of that, as much as continuity is good, um, I don't think Dennis Allen is the answer here. We know the defense is good. That's great. But as we can see, the defense is the problem or what needs to be fixed on this team. And I don't know who Dennis Allen's going to hire to somehow make this better or do a job better with the offense than Sean Payton can. Um, I mean, they're an absolute mess. I mean, Dennis Allen, sure, you know, congrats for him. I think he's been a great defensive mind. But the Saints need to figure out what the hell they're doing, quarterback, what they're doing with their cap space, all kinds of stuff. Like, Dennis Allen is basically just going to sit there and watch the team get stripped down to nothing with a lot of their big-name players just either getting cut or are unable to re-sign them. So, I mean, he's kind of just walking in the lion's den here and hoping for the best, and I just don't think it's going to work out. I feel bad. I don't think it really has anything to do, with my opinion, with Dennis Allen's coaching ability. I think that's been proven. However, I just feel like the offense is going to be such a complete mess that, you know, with that not being his background of expertise, he's going to be really able to do much to turn that ship around. Because, I mean... You want continuity, that's great, but how many times has this whole secession thing ever worked out? I mean, look at the Colts back when Tony Dungy retired. They got Jim Caldwell, and it worked fine for a year or two, and then after that, it was an absolute mess because it just, you know, everyone's expect. I mean, what's the shakeup? What's the culture change? What's the, you know, how are we going to get a better result than we already did? Chances are you're not. Unless Dennis Allen is the next Sean Payton, which he's not because he's a great defensive coach. But again, they need an offensive mind over there, it seems like. Um, they're just going to be going through the same motions. It's not going to change enough for them. And clearly, with the roster they have, the talent is just not there to get them where they need to be. And I think Dennis Allen's going to get fired in you know two, three years and He's going to regret taking this job because I feel like he could get a head coaching job somewhere else. and I think he might be in a better situation than he is right now with the Saints. That is something to be concerned with because this, this, as we both said, apparently, is that it's just not going to be his fault if it fails necessarily. It could be his fault, but necessarily it's not going to be his fault, and maybe he should have waited uh, to get a better job. And, and that's just like anyone else. you got to pick the right situation for your job if you want to stay on or whatever. So... Uh, definitely something that he, I'm sure, considered, but uh, maybe ignored some red flags. We'll see what happens down the road with that one. 
those are the coaching changes. Those are our grades for each one. Uh, a reminder, we'll keep everyone updated on any more coaching changes that happen in the offseason. It seems like crazy news are coming out in the NFL just about every day. Um, but let's get to our recap of the last week's games. I'm sure that by this point, by the time people listen to this podcast, they know what's happened. They kind of got the recap. But to kind of just give a refresher before we make our pick uh, for the week sees, the Bengals win in overtime 27-24 to against the Chiefs. They were down 21-3 to at halftime. Uh, to your credit, Cecil, you never gave up on it. I did. Uh, I did not think the Bengals were ready to play. They weren't tackling in the first half. Patrick Mahomes was taking what the defense gave him. They, the running game was on point. They were gashing the Bengals' defense for five, six, seven yards um, every time they ran the ball, it seemed like. So they were up 21-3. to three. Uh, The Bengals come back. They get start getting some key stops. They start getting some touchdowns. Uh, they get some Evan McPherson clutch field goals. And then they go to overtime. Uh, Chiefs get a three points in the second half, and they're able to push it to overtime after the Bengals come back. And the Chiefs win the coin toss. And that is the loudest cheer I heard from the Arrowhead Stadium after they had won the coin toss in Buffalo the week earlier and were able to go down the field and score without having the ball go into Josh Allen's hands. But what do we know? The thing we talked about all year, sees Patrick Mahomes got greedy. He almost threw a pick to Eli Apple. Eli Apple dropped it. And then the next play, he throws it deep to Tyree Kill in between Two safeties, both Von Bell and Jesse Bates. The Bengals come up with an interception, and they're able to get all the way down and get Money Mac, Evan McPherson, an easy game-winning field goal to send the Bengals to the Super Bowl for the first time in our lifetimes and for the, another another big upset of the Chiefs on the road. It was an incredible scene in downtown Cincinnati and an incredible game, incredible adjustments by the defense to, to kind of settle things down. And uh, honestly, it's just a really, really good performance and – Cecil, I know we both talked about maybe this team pushes for a playoff spot before the year. I don't think in our wildest dreams we thought we'd be at this point. Yeah, I would have absolutely slapped myself if I would have said the Bengals are going to a Super Bowl before the season. I would have slapped myself, um, and anyone that is my friend should have slapped me as well because that's just not something, one, um, the projection was for this team with the talent on the roster – and two, this is Cincinnati, where pretty much all hope of a successful sporting team goes to die, it seems. But somehow from the ashes, um, like a phoenix, Joe Burrow has risen and built a team that honestly on paper shouldn't be at this level. Um, probably shouldn't have won some of these games. Um, but... You know what? They they fight, and it, it doesn't make, like I said last week, what I said, they're going to beat the Chiefs. I said I don't think there's a real reason why. I don't think on paper you can say that the Bengals are necessarily the better team. But they have this kind of X factor, this, you know, this clutch gene that Joe Burrow has, the sense of calm, the sense of camaraderie they all have as, as a team, that nothing's ever too big for them. You know, it doesn't matter to them what the score is. It doesn't matter what's happening or what's happened in the past. They are the, their own team. They are their own people, and they control their own destiny. Um, and they don't let anyone outside of that locker room tell them what they can and can't do. And I think that's something you you can't necessarily equate. Um, and something that's really one of the most important things of all, especially when you look at championship teams. Um, 
that isn't measured, that isn't talked about, is, you know, they control their own narrative, they believe in themselves, and they never let anything get in their way or just... Because how many teams have we seen in the playoffs that are in that situation? It's 21-3, and you're, I mean, that could be it. You're going to fold up the, you know, fold it in, you know, it was a good season, you know, whatever, you know, we weren't supposed to get this far anyway. They're supposed to win, you know, and just let the game run out. Um, so, I mean, this is the ultimate tale of two halves, and really it starts with the end of the second half with just a boneheaded play by Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Um, you look at that play, you know, with five seconds left on the clock, no timeouts. They throw it in play, not close to the sideline. Tyreek Hill decides he's going to try to make a hero play to spread towards the end zone. And a lot of times in space, Tyreek Hill can do a lot of things. Do a lot of things that a lot of receivers cannot in this game. And there's someone that might be able to make that in the end zone. It's probably Tyreek Hill. But that's still not playing smart football. Um, at that point, you're kind of, you know, you're playing in your own narrative. You're going, look at us. We're going to go up 23, you know, 28 to 10 and a half. going to be up 18 points, and we're going to absolutely dominate this game. Um, and, and, you know, they should have just, Tyreek Hill should have seen him wasn't there and run out of bounds. They should have kicked the field goal. Or Pat Mahomes should have thrown it through the goalpost and kicked the field goal. Instead, they don't come away with any points at all, and they leave the door open for the Bengals. An 11-point deficit after everything that happened that first half. You, and I mean, all the Bengals talked about it too. They went to that locker room going, I mean, we can win this game. I mean, we were down 14 points last time at half. Um, you know, now we're down 11. They get the ball back first. Let's go out there and score. You know, this game is, you know, a possession away, you know. Um, and a lot of that, too, with that last play, if you think about it, another stupid thing that happened earlier in the game and I know a lot of people want to not talk about time management with coaches because it's boring and all that. But Andy Reid called a timeout and then called a challenge on the same play. So if we can all think about that for a second. Um, and but by the rules, he had to pretty much give up his timeout, even though the challenge was right, because he called a timeout before he called the challenge. Because I don't know if it was they wanted to look at something or he just wasn't thinking or what was going on. But basically, Andy Reid mismanaged right there. And I'm not going to say Andy Reid is a bad coach, anything like that. He's a great coach. He's been a great offensive mind. What he's done with the Kansas City Chiefs is unbelievable with Patrick Mahomes. But in a huge game of that magnitude, every little thing is under a microscope and everything counts. And you're throwing timeouts so you can throw challenge flags when ultimately a challenge does the same thing as a timeout. So why don't you just throw the challenge if you're not sure? Um, in worst case, you lose the timeout that you're going to lose by calling timeout. So that kind of stupid shit right there is what costs them the game. Because you know what? They thought they had another timeout left. Tyreek's trying to call timeout at the end of the first half, and he doesn't have any. Sure as hell would have had one. Um, it could have called timeout. It could have kicked the field goal. But critical things like that matter, especially in the playoffs. Everything is magnified. The second half, I mean, Pat Mahomes just completely broke. 
Um, I don't know if it was just he got impatient or, you know, suddenly he went out there and just thought, I've got to do something different than I was doing in the first half. Um, on the other side of that, though, Lou Anamarumo and the defense, the Bengals, I mean, completely changed what they looked like scheme-wise. I mean, you two want to talk about halftime adjustments, the Bengals are kings of it this year. I mean, they're the best team coming out of the half. I mean, they've been one of the best second-half teams in the NFL, and it shows. I mean, there were times where the Bengals' defense were dropping eight and rushing three. That stuff's just not seen in the NFL very often. And Pat Mahomes looked confused by it and frustrated, and he made critical mistakes. Um, you know, and I know a lot of the media is trying to throw this narrative that Pat Mahomes sucks and threw away the game and it's the Chiefs' fault they lost and Bengals just happened to be the team that they were playing at the time. Um, the Bengals won that game. Um, they made some hell of some plays in the second half there. Um, and even the first half. I mean, Samaji P. Ryan's, you know, short dump-off pass, he ran 40 yards down the field for a touchdown. That's a big play. Uh, B.J. Hill picking off a pass for Patrick Mahomes in the line of scrimmage. A defensive lineman jumping up, tipping the ball to himself. Huge play. Um, overtime, you know, Jesse Bates, Von Bell teaming up to get that interception. Huge. Sam Hubbard getting back-to-back sacks on a drive at the end of the fourth quarter where Kansas City scores a touchdown. It's over. There's no time. There's not going to be 13 seconds left even for the Bengals to do anything. And what do they do? Sam Hubbard gets a sack, a major sack on third down, taken away from an easy no, on second down, taking them away from an easy play from third goal. And then on third goal, you know, they rush three. Sam Hubbard drops back as a spy and then makes a hell of a play and just attacks Patrick Mahomes, makes him fumble the ball, and, you know, they make an easy field goal and a not-so-easy one. Um, and then when you go to overtime, I mean, you want to talk about a team that just walked in there with supreme confidence and then did not execute, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I've never heard a crowd yell so hard for winning a coin flip. And obviously, I know who the Chiefs are. I know the magnitude and the importance of overtime rules and how, especially in a game like that, it can be very easily over. And when we lost the coin tops, I was definitely not very excited about it. But ultimately, the Bengals held in. They made a hell of a play, and they set up Evan McPherson to make you know, that game-winning field goal. It was a complete team effort in the end. They decided that, I mean, they decided that they wanted it more than the Chiefs. And in the playoffs, that's what it comes down to a lot. It's just who is willing to put in the effort, who is willing to make plays and play harder than they ever have to get to the level that they they need to. Because that's what winning a championship's about. Winning a championship isn't always about having the best roster on paper. Um, it's not about having the flashiest players or the flashiest name or what you did in the regular season. It's about digging deep down, making plays where it counts on the biggest stages, and being able to execute and not crack under the pressure. That's what the Bengals were able to do, and the Chiefs just couldn't handle it, and that's why they lost the game. Absolutely, and uh, that was what gave us such a good time this past, or excuse me, a week and a half ago on Sunday when we were watching this game. The town, the city of Cincinnati has turned from a, 
fair weather fans to someone who believes. And I think, like you said, sees Joe Burrow is a big reason why uh, the way the offensive lines played throughout the playoffs. This was their best game, by the way. But the way they played throughout the playoffs, they have no business being there. But they believe in each other, and that is a culture change that I think deserves a lot of credit. Or excuse me, Zach Taylor deserves a lot of credit for. But so too does Joe Burrow. Ultimate belief in his guys. And this 2019 LSU team, man, they leave LSU, and, and LSU gets really bad after the next last couple, next couple of years after that. They, a couple of them are now up in Cincinnati, whether it's Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Thaddeus Moss, Tyler Shelvin. And they are very supportive of one another. They, they pick each other up. They are, have ultimate confidence. And I think that culture change uh, has really, really helped in that regard and helped them think that they can beat anyone on the field, which they have done by beating the Chiefs. Uh, over these last several weeks, beating the Chiefs, winning the playoff games, that has been incredible. All right, the other game. We were celebrating, so we missed a lot of the first quarter of the 49ers and Rams. Uh, didn't really matter. They didn't score in the first quarter. But the Rams were able to get the white whale. They, the, the 49ers have been one of the biggest thorns in their sides for the last couple of years. Uh, they're down 17-7. to It's looking kind of bleak. Matt Stafford steps up when it was it's clutch time again. Very happy for him to have these moments so people can stop doubting how good he is, of a, basically, of a quarterback. Um, they they able to come back and win 20-17. to Cooper Cup has 11 receptions for 142 yards, two touchdowns, showing again why he's the best receiver in the game this season. If you want to argue Devonta Adams' best receiver overall, I 100% get that. But Cooper Cup, best receiver this season, had one of the best receiving seasons of all time. His chemistry with Matthew Stafford is unparalleled besides maybe than other Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Um, but this was a good team effort. They saw some leadership from Aaron Donald on the sidelines, telling his defense to dig in, that they needed to play better, and it has shut down the 49ers in the fourth quarter, which they did. They scored zero points. And, uh, yeah, the Rams are able to advance. They went and sold out to win a championship, and now they're going to get their chance to do so. No, I mean, they came up with some huge plays in the fourth quarter there. Um, I mean, you look at this game, and, I mean, the 49ers were doing what they normally do. Um, making plays with Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Uh, Brandon Ayuk actually got involved in this game, which was surprising. And, uh, I mean, Jimmy G didn't do anything amazing. They were just playing smart, conservative, you know, controlling the time of possession. I mean, you, you blink. And, you know, five minutes later, the 49ers will be halfway down the field and half the corner's gone. I mean, that's just that's just the way they play football, and I think that's one of the reasons they've been so effective against the Rams. I mean, at one point, I mean, they were up, you know, 10 points to start up the fourth quarter, and I was sitting there going, I guess the 49ers have their number here again. Um, I don't know how they're going to be able to pull this off. Matt Stafford, you know, you know makes a huge touchdown pass. And, you know, they're able to win. And at the end of the day, Aaron Donald's able to make that huge play against Jimmy G in the final drive. And uh, really, they, they just completely stopped the 49ers in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I love Matthew Stafford and how he's able to be able to change the narrative on itself after so many years of heartache for him. Um, it's great they've been able to do this. What Cooper Cup has been able to do, um, despite all odds, despite of everything it took for him to even get to this level in the NFL, to have this kind of season is unreal. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about this Rams team. Aaron Donald is a great all-pro player, you know, Hall of Famer. Even right now, he retired tomorrow, he would be an all-Hall of Famer, absolutely. I mean, you have Von Miller on this team now. You know, Jalen Ramsey is a great quarterback. 
Um, you know, not maybe the most likable human being on earth, but he is damn good at playing that position. And I mean, they're I mean, they they went for broke this season, and they made it the Super Bowl, which is the ultimate goal. That's what you dream of, you hope for, when you put everything on the table. Because they gambled everything; they gambled their entire future away for this shot. So I mean, they made a Super Bowl, and if they can win it, it's all worth it. If they don't win it, uh, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, Matthew Stafford came up clutch, and Jimmy G did not. And like we've talked about a lot, when it comes to the playoffs, it comes to who has the better quarterback and who blinks first. And the 49ers just did not have what it takes. Yeah, and they, they've already had decisions to make. I mean, in terms of, like, Jimmy is already coming out saying that he thinks he's going to be traded. He, he, you know, he hopes he goes to a winning culture and everything. Um, that seems to be the future is Trey Lance. Maybe that's a, a way they can they can win these these NFC Championships, Super Bowls, whatever you want to call it, late in the season games, is having someone like Trey Lance develop. Uh, we knew Jimmy Garoppolo maybe was not the greatest quarterback in the playoffs. We'll see where he possibly ends up. But for the Rams, you're right. If this one Super Bowl can make it all worth it for all of the, what they did, all of what they bought into. But we get the Rams against the Bengals in the Super Bowl season. Super Bowl 56, we have Andrew Whitworth versus his former team, Zach Taylor versus his former team and former head coach, uh, or excuse me, excuse me, his head coach when he was the offensive coordinator. Um, it's a pretty good storyline. It's pretty good uniforms for both teams. They have the, uh, I think it'll be a good uniform game with the, the black uniforms for the Bengals and the white for the Rams. This will be in L.A. The Rams are playing in their home stadium. Uh, obviously, the tickets are sold to everyone, so it won't be a home field advantage in terms of noise, but still nice to have the home stadium field and not have to worry about all the travel accommodations that the Bengals players have to as well. So here we go, Cease. The last game we're going to pick of the year. We have the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. The Rams are favored by four and a half points. Again, home stadium. They're not technically the home team, but they're in the home stadium. And it should be, from all accounts, it looks like it's going to be a really good Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be the greatest Super Bowl of my lifetime, uh, regardless, because the Bengals are in it. But, I mean, there's a lot of good storylines, which you always go for with the Super Bowl matchup. Uh, it's two teams that really haven't played each other, so that's going to be interesting, too. We don't know what the matchup's exactly going to be, because we haven't seen it. We've got Jamar Chase versus Jalen Ramsey out there. You know, Aaron Donald versus the entire Bengals offensive line. Are they going to be able to hold him at all? Matthew Stafford, is he going to be able to keep it together in the biggest game of his life? Um, Joe Burrow, who seems like no matter what happens, will stay calm and have a shot to win. I mean, he already won a national title. Can he win a Super Bowl? You know, basically, in, after a year of starting in the NFL, after a short rookie year, um, I mean, there's storylines galore. You know, I'm going with the team of destiny, it feels like. It seems like no matter what happens, um, the Cincinnati Bengals can win and will win. seems like nothing phases them. And unless the Rams are going to blow them out, which I don't think is going to happen by any means, I think the Bengals have a shot to win this game in the fourth quarter. Um, and that's all you really hope for. And when you've got a guy like Joe Burrow and you've got the weapons he has, um, and a defense that's playing hotter than anybody has, you know, in the playoffs in a long time. I mean, that's a winning combo. Um, I know they have to travel. I know LA's in their home stadium. But one, it's LA. Um, you know, the fan base there is a little different than it is other places. Two, like you said, 
you know, it's the Super Bowl. It's a very different feel. You know, it's people from all over. And if anything, there's going to be a lot of people in the stadium that aren't necessarily rooting for the Rams because they're not from L.A. They're just fans of football. And, the, I mean, the Bengals are the underdog team if you're going to look at it that way. So, um, I think there will be some people in the stands wanting the Bengals to succeed. I think a lot of people like Joe Burrow as well, the national media. So, I think that'll only help our chances. And I'm telling you, four and a half spread, I'll take that all day. Even if you're not picking the Bengals to win this game, which I understand the concerns of the offensive line, I know what the Rams are. I know they're a star-studded team. I know there's a lot of reasons they can win this game. But four and a half points is a lot against a team that seems to, no matter what, fight for it till the end. So unless you think the Bengals are going to lose by over a touchdown, which I don't think so, I think they're going to, I mean, they're going to be in it till the end. They've got um, Evan McPherson, who seems like he can make a field goal from anywhere, you know, 52, 55, whatever, he'll make it. Um, you know, you've got great offensive weapons. And, I mean, the Rams have struggled every once in a while, and Matt Stafford can make a turnover, too. So, um, if, I mean, if this line keeps going up higher, please do. Because, I mean, if it gets higher, I'm just going to have to hammer that even more than I'm already betting on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Because it's just going to be easy money at that point. So, give me the Bengals to win. Obviously, give me the points with them, four and a half. You know, just let that keep going up and let the uh, let the narrative keep going. The Bengals, you know, are a huge underdog team because, I mean, at some point, I don't know how you can keep upsetting people and keep everyone saying they don't have a shot. Because, I mean, they just straight up don't care. You can tell them that they have no shot of winning, that they weren't supposed to be here. They go, I mean, what's your point? We're here, and they're not here just going, good golly, it's great to be in the Super Bowl. Isn't this fun? They're going, the hell with that. We're here to win the whole thing. And for all those fans out there in the NFL, um, a Bengals Super Bowl, I think it means a lot for the city of Cincinnati. But I think so. It also means a lot for all the small market teams out there, all the downtrodden franchises. I mean, you look at the Lions, you look at the Jaguars, you look at Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, there's just teams in this league that just straight up have not won anything either ever or in a very long time, and it just seems like it's never going to end. There's the constant rebuild. There's the classic, who are going to take in the draft? Will this finally be the person that helps us get to where we want to be? And the Bengals have somehow managed to do this in a time frame that I didn't think was humanly possible. So, for anything, I think it would be great for the NFL if a team, a small market team, a team that isn't the, you know, biggest franchise in the world was able to win a Super Bowl. You know, a team, you know, that doesn't have Peyton Manning, Tom Brady on it, um, you know, one of those types, you know, isn't the Kansas City Chiefs at this point, you know, isn't the Green Bay Packers as much as I like the Packers, Aaron Rodgers. Imagine a team that's never won a Super Bowl, like when Seattle originally won their Super Bowl. How awesome was that for a team that was very relatively, you know, not that successful historically to finally get kind of a win and being back-to-back Super Bowls like that. I mean, I think that was absolutely huge. And I think it's, I think it's just, going to be great for the sport overall um one for Cincinnati to get the Super Bowl and two if they can win it I think it just shows that really any team can and really that that is the glory of sports right there and that's one of the big reasons we watch it absolutely Cease I think anyone who says either team has no shot um because there are some crazy people out there uh on Twitter mostly who 
who've said opposite that the Rams have no shot. I think it's crazy. There's a reason why this line is decently close at four and a half points. There's a reason both teams are in the Super Bowl. It could go any of which ways. It could be the Rams stall out like they've done in certain games. It could be the Bengals stall out like they did earlier in the year, uh, losing to like the Bears and the Jets. It could go any which way. It's going to be a good game. Um, I've gotten criticized for not picking the Bengals in this one, but here's my pick. I'm going Rams to win the game, Bengals against the spread. Uh, if you're looking for stats on why I'm taking Bengals against the spread, here you go. Anytime they are favored by, or excuse me, the other team is favored by three and a half points or more, uh, the Bengals usually cover that. That There you go. That That's all you need to know. This is a game where I think... Uh, they can they can at least keep it close. I'm picking the Rams to win the game by a field goal. And I think this is just a, a game that's going to be close throughout. But here are the dif- difference makers that I see. I see the matchups to watch, first of all. Aaron Donald versus the Bengals offensive line. And Jamar Chase versus Jalen Ramsey are two of the matchups I am excited to see as a football fan. If I were watching this from an outside perspective, right? Those are two really, really key matchups. And Jalen Ramsey will will travel to cover wide receivers. So we'll see if they implement that, um, which means if you're betting out there, take the T. Higgins over maybe. Maybe they, they're they not going to not throw to Jamar Chase, but much like the Chiefs game, T. T Higgins can have an opportunity to have a big game. So I think the X factor in this game is Aaron Donald. The Bengals' interior offensive line has not been great all season. They neglected to really, really invest in the offensive line and I can't even describe how well Joe Burrow has played, despite not having the greatest offensive line. I can't describe – I've never seen anything like it in sports. You don't get sacked nine times and win a playoff game. You just don't do it. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback play the way he plays. The po- po- excuse me, the pocket presence, the taking the sacks, the, the big plays. You know, he doesn't have the most – biggest arm. He's not the most athletic, but he has those intangibles. I don't know if that is sustainable – I think what he's done so far is incredible, and I've never seen anything like it. Against Aaron Donald, things might be different. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league since Lawrence Taylor, and maybe of all time. For what he's done from an interior defensive line perspective, it is crazy. The Bengals have had two weeks to prepare. I really, really do hope they prepared and just (laughs) know where he is at all times. If they decide to double him... I mean, now they have Von Miller, who has looked way, way better since getting healthier and healthier later in the season. They have Leonard Floyd, who can also get after the quarterback. That is my concern. Not that Burrow can't handle the pressure, because he has that pocket presence, and he can use his legs to scramble like we saw in the Chiefs game. But as I said before the Chiefs game, if if we get into those second and 20s, and the third and 27 that we got against the Chiefs in the regular season, that is something that we picked up all these big plays. I'm not sure that's sustainable. And the offense hasn't been playing the greatest football. They've been time. The defense and the offense have been timely. But we need to get in the end zone uh, and get in the end zone early. So offensive play calling was an issue against the Chiefs. We ran the ball on way too many first downs in the first half. Just how it goes. It's something that we've noticed all year. And then they open up the playbook in the second half and they come back. They need to keep their foot on the gas from play one, open up the playbook. Do not just sit there and say we need to establish the run and run on nine to ten first downs in the first half. Make it more 50 per 50, you know, just change it up a little bit. That would be a lot nicer than nine out of ten times running. So that to me is what I'm looking for. There's so many different ways this game could go because of all these factors. But I'm going Rams because I think Aaron Donald and that defensive line, defensive front, can really give the Bengals a hard time. Um, I am hoping that I am wrong, but I do think that's going to be the difference in the game. 
I do think, I still to this day see, I believe the game is won in the trenches, and I do love everything that the Bengals defensive line has done. I do like that the Bengals offensive line is fought, but at a certain point, I think it's going to catch up to you, and I think the Rams are the perfect team to exploit that weakness. So, I would love to be wrong. I've been told that I'm the only person in Cincinnati picking the Rams. That is fine. It's my job to try to just tell how I think the game is going to go. That's just how I think it's going to go. And if Joe Burrow wins, honestly, again, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen from a quarterback. It really is. I, I don't think I've ever, like, Aaron Rodgers putting the team on the back before with his incredible throws. Really, really cool. But doing this without the offensive line that Joe Burrow has, getting these big scrambling plays and getting out of the pocket – I think everyone loves Joe Burrow now. I still don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done. This is a complete overhaul of a, of a team from last year, all because he's healthy and he has some playmakers on the outside and the defense they invested in the free agency. So, Rams win by a field goal. I'll be happy to be wrong, but I do think, Cecil, this will be one of the best Super Bowls we've seen. Um, I know the last time the Rams were in the Super Bowl, it was one of the most boring with the Patriots-Rams, but this is a different feel. we got Stafford on the Rams now, so that offense is high-powered. We got the Bengals underdog mentality. We got the weapons that they have. I am super, super excited. And again, please let me be wrong. I don't say that very often, but please let me be wrong. Let me be excited with my city. Um, but either way, we will enjoy it downtown uh, watching the game. Just superstitious. We're going to watch it at the same bar as we always do and see how it goes. But uh, very, very excited for this one. Cecil, any final thoughts for the week? Yeah. Um, we will be at the same bar. I will be wearing the same jersey. Um, I will continue to, for the next, what is it, Tuesday, um, at the time of this recording, I guess for the next five nights, I will sit up staring at the ceiling every night, just wishing, hoping, doing whatever it takes to uh, get the Bengals a Super Bowl, um, which is, at, to this moment, that I keep waking up every day and seeing the Bengals a Super Bowl, I, I think I'm still in shock. Um, but we're going to be out there. We're going to be cheering with the best of them. And um, let's, let's bring a championship home to Cincinnati. Oh, God, please, please let us have this one. Okay, so we are excited for that. We will uh, be excited to watch Super Bowl. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and see all our reactions, see the cool, uh, I guess if the Bengals win, see the cool reactions we have downtown. And please, uh, nothing that we do on Sunday night could be held against us in the court of law. That is that is a fact. Um so that, that's what we're talking about here. But we will watch Super Bowl. Cecil, we're going to recap the Super Bowl next week. And then we will probably take a hiatus until free agency slash the draft. Um, so that's kind of our going-ahead schedule. Uh, make sure everyone watch the Super Bowl. Let us know what your favorite ads are. We're going to talk about all that fun stuff every year that we like always do. Um, but for now, that's all we got. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.